The first reading is from 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 to 24. The outworking of love. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this, we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the, on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. The second reading is from John chapter 10, verses 11 to 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Amen. Oops. Hold on a second. Just cut my head off. I'm a little taller than Carol. It's good talking to Frank. We we look eye to eye, you know. <laughs> See things eye to eye. Ah. Oh. <laughs> oh, let's pray. Lord, you are the good shepherd. Thank you, Jesus, that you uh, laid down your life for us as a demonstration of, of your love, of the Father's love, and that you have a name, as we were singing, a name that heals, a name that delivers and frees us, a name that gives life 
and fullness, a name bestowed upon you by the Father. Therefore God has exalted him to the highest place and given him the name. And it's in your name we meet, Lord. It's in your name and for your glory. And so, uh, reveal yourself, Jesus. Move amongst us. Touch and renew our hearts, we pray. For your glory. Amen. Amen. I just feel really encouraged this morning. Partly technology has worked so far. Oops, shouldn't have said that. That's like when golf commentators say, you know, he's gone 54 holes without a three putt, and lo and behold, he three putts. So, hoping not preempting something there, but just out of a sense of the Lord's goodness and the place that he's taking us. A year on, goodness. Honeymoon period's over. Hey, <laughs> that's good. Do you get confused about love? Clearly one or two in the audience have. <laughs> I think the world is at times a little confused about love. John defines it for us in the opening verse of our passage from 1 John. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also or to lay down our lives for the brethren. You see, love, isn't, love is a continuum. Love flows. Love moves. Not only do we receive it, but we give, for it to be love to not end with us. It doesn't end with God, who is love, as we will discover. Lays down his life, and we also ought to do the same. I remember those early awkward days in our relationship. Remember with Carol and when first time you say, love you? I'm going to say first, will they respond? Do I have any idea what I'm saying? Absolutely not. But there's something desirous and something that's being changed and touched in my heart. But I'm not sure I had this in mind at that moment. In fact, I wonder when I became a Christian at 25 and I, I prayed to, to turn to Christ, I'm, I'm not sure I had all of this in mind. How about you all? Because in Jesus' life, and the more we study and ponder and be impacted by his life, we see love defined and modeled for us so wondrously in his Obviously, in his sacrifice upon a cross, but in his yielding of the, his will, his, the control of his life to the Father, the choices that he made for us, the unfailing nature of his love in spite of rebellion and rejection. In this sense, love defines Jesus. And it's why we follow him, ultimately, because of the example that he gave for in how we ought to live. But I ask you, do you know this love? Have you allowed this love to enter and change your heart? Is it real, or do you just read about it? Because if we're called to love one another and love others as he loves us, 
I mean, that's a revolution right there. And it seems beyond us. If we're called to sacrifice our time, our own preferences, our comfort at times, our self, I would say I catch a glimpse of that in Carol as she loves our children, particularly, you know, a mother's love for children. The, the extent of sacrifice, the extent of total otherness, the, the weariness that comes upon you, the fatigue, the pain. This is love. It's wondrous to see it in one of those children as their mothering children themselves. It's a beautiful thing, and it comes from God, and it defies logic, reason, analysis, because it's love. It's beyond that, and we're beneficiaries of it. And I think John, the apostle, but also the pastor, <coughs> me, deeply wants to comfort and encourage his flock, his congregation, as I want you to rest in the knowledge and experience of this love, but allow it to change you, flow from you, for him. And therefore, for Jesus, this was always a matter of the human heart, not primarily the head but the heart, and I'm talking about, kind of entitled this, nurturing an, an infusive, enthusiastic heart. Are you nurturing a heart that is enthusiastic for the things of God? <clears throat> Enthusiasm comes from, it's rooted in a word, entheos. Entheos in the Greek means God within. Interesting, isn't it? To be enthusiastic is to be in touch with God within us. I can see you're infused. I can see you're barely containing yourselves. I want to contrast something. I've got a little video clip. Some of you may recognize this. It may be familiar to you. Guess I'm not fun enough to be invited. I could have some. Hey, Buddy Burrow, what you doing outside? Don't want to ruin everyone's good time. That's ridiculous. Eeyore, the party's for you. What's a pin a tail on a donkey party uh, 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 without a donkey? No, parties are for popular animals, like tiggers. <laughs> Look, being popular is easy. You just gotta be like me. <clears throat> Rule number one, simply walk up to someone and say, Hello! <laughs> Get in there and have some fun. Think I've had enough fun for one day. Better go now. Uh, uh, but you just got here. Forgot what to say. <clears throat> Hello. Hello. <laughs> 
Hello, Eeyore. Hello. Uh, hello, Eeyore. Hi there, honey. <laughs> Glad you came. Uh, your turn next. Hello. Uh, yeah, you had that already. Hello. 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 the groove. Hello. Hello. Can he do more than say hello? Hello. Yeah, he can say hello with enthusiasm. Hello. Uh, what you doing, buddy boy? Waiting to say hello. Think I'm getting the hang of it. <coughs> hello. <laughs> boy, that's terrific. I uh, hate to tell you, but the party was over last night. It figures. Might as well go home. So, are we in the or are we a Tigger? <laughs> or do we know both? Are we on a journey from Eeyore to Tigger? Do you know what to say when you come in? <laughs> hello, hello. <clears throat> when I was first become a Christian, I was, um, I was discipled by um, a guy called John, John, <laughs> no, I was going to say John Cox, but it wasn't John Cox. No, it was John Reeves. And, um, and we, you know, we would read the scriptures together. And I remember one of the first questions I had was a, a really confusing question where Jesus, when he's telling in Matthew's gospel, the story of the, uh, the, the, the seed, you know, sowing the seed, the battle of the sower, he quotes the prophet Isaiah, who seemed to talk about people hearing but not receiving, people seeing but their eyes were closed. And, um, and the prophet says, for the hearts of these people are dulled. But it seemed like God was making them dulled. And I didn't understand that. And Jesus quotes that in the context of telling the parables about the kingdom. Because sometimes you can speak to people about the, the name Jesus, and it just bounces off, doesn't it? They don't see it. They don't hear it. Their hearts are dulled to the message. <clears throat> whoever has this world, sorry. Yeah, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother up in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? The first thing that God wants to do with our hearts is to open up our hearts. Because often we're dulled. The world, life, sin, brokenness, pain, dull us. Early on as a Christian, when I experienced, in a way, the baptism of the Spirit, but beyond that, when something of the love of the Father for me, an intimate, a personal, a love, became known to me. I mean, my heart was fit to burst. I mean, something changed radically. It wasn't suddenly everything was fixed and I was a totally new person. I believe in Christ I'd become that. But God began to work 
by touching me with his heart. But it's a choice that we have, not just to open our minds to God, but open our hearts to the love of God as his children. John, in that verse, describes, you know, seeing your brother. Well, who's he mean when he, when he says, when you see your brother? He's always ambiguous references other people as to whether or not he's talking about other Christians or anyone. And I think that ambiguity is intentional because we're not to limit love. But when someone has need, and though we have plenty but keep it to ourselves, this is a heart that is closed. And we're invited to be those in the Lord who open our hearts, not just to receive, but to remember love must not only be received from us for it to be love. And Jesus calls us fundamentally to a simplicity of life so that we can be generous, a recognition that we have all things in common, that we belong to one another. We have a common life together. I love how in this town we get to share with many in need. Second ways, you're going to hear a little bit more of that. But people have needs beyond just the physical. There are emotional and spiritual needs that we have because that's who we are. And when we seek to encourage those who are discouraged or down, when we comfort those who are hurting by feeling with them and being together in the midst of what they're going through, this too is love. I enjoy it when people come alongside and Take some of the burden. This is support. Bear one another's burdens. In this way, you fulfill the command of Christ. Dan has been a huge support to me. I mean, even there is, most of you don't realize what goes into putting these Sunday mornings on, but Dan has chosen to bear a lot of the burden of that. That is huge to me. That feels like love and togetherness. And he shows it in other ways too. And we have spiritual needs. We have needs that can only be discovered and lived fully into in the context of community and partnership, friendship with others. For us to grow and become something of a reflection of the, the, the Jesus who loves us and to live as he calls us to live, that is not a solitary adventure. We cannot do it alone. It's why I'm encouraging us to Huddle. To be deeply connected with one or two others. We see it again and again in the scriptures. And encouraging one another to talk about our life in the Lord and how we're responding to that. Because we love to keep that hidden sometimes, sadly. But this is all risky, isn't it? This requires for me to open my heart to another. And what might he or she do with that? to risk vulnerability, but this is humility. And this is a sign of God's love at work within us. But secondly, so wants to have us an assurance of heart, as well as a heart that is open, a heart that is assured. Look at verse 19, we can't listen to it. And by this, we know that we are of the truth. We know that we belong to Jesus who is truth and shall assure our hearts before him. When we act, when we do stuff, when we live like he calls us to live, with that comes 
assurance of heart. And all of us are battling the opposite to some and varying degrees. You know what it feels like when you do something to some, for someone that is utterly selfless? You do something out of which you derive no particular benefit. It kind of feels good, doesn't it? Come on, dig deep. It's in there somewhere. Does that feel good when you do something that blesses another person? Of course it does, because that's the nature of God at work in you. And we know that, and yet the reality is we all of us battle with kind of sliding towards selfishness rather than selflessness. That's the part of our brokenness. That's why we need others to encourage us. In spite of feeling good, we get drawn to the other. Oh, the good that I should do, I find myself doing the very thing I don't want to do. That's the testament of the Apostle Paul. There's a struggle, there's a battle. But you were created for this, for righteousness, for right relationships, for loving acts. And when we do that, that is when we have the greatest sense of assurance that we are in Him and He is in us and we are secure. Many of us struggle with a sense of identity. Does God really love me? Am I assured of salvation? Do I know where I'm going? Does he delight in me? Has he gifted me? Does he love me? Is he for me? <clears throat> and of course, all those things are scripturally true. But let me tell you, the way you know that's true is when you give it away. Not when you wait for it to somehow land upon you. Walk in it. And it becomes more of a reality to us. <clears throat> that earlier experience of being touched by the Father's love, with that came a sense of the Father heart of God for me. As, as a man, as, but as a son, as an offspring, as a child of God, that I could barely contain. It helped set me on a trajectory of learning to rest in the Father's love and therefore who I am because of him, that I think he wants for all of us. Because to have assurance of heart means to feel safe, to feel I belong, to know I've arrived. This is my destiny. but also to become a person who gives assurance because there's two parts to being assured. It's what we receive, but we can give assurance. It's when we are true to our word, when we follow through on the promises that we make and the commitments to others. And yet we wrestle with the knowledge that we're imperfect. God makes provision for that. If you confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, you shall be healed. Because God is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse, there's provision. But we slip from there into shame. We think, oh, I did wrong, so now I'm a terrible person. God cannot love me. It's not based upon your being a good person. He doesn't love you because of that. He loves you because he created you and delights in you. 
And yet we wrestle with this knowledge, not just of how we see ourselves, but how we believe God sees us. And I think what John is saying, that our sense of assurance and security in the Lord is reinforced through the love that we share, not just the love that we receive. When we give to others, when we serve the needs of others, when we lay down our lives, we actually find life. This is the conundrum, the topsy-turvy kingdom of God, that we would rather it was the other way. Give me life, Lord, and then I'll live it. And he says, no, give it away and you'll find it. Uh, but that takes faith, Lord. Yes, who told you anything other? There's a beautiful story of Zacchaeus in Luke's gospel, Luke 19. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, a Jew who sided with the Romans, a hated man, a man who lived with shame, no doubt, but certainly alienation in his community. But there was something in him that longed for this life and this fullness. So when Jesus comes to town, he climbs the sycamore tree, as we like to say because he's a man of low stature. And Jesus sees him. You know, Jesus sees you. And he knows you, and he knows your story. You don't have to hide it from him. Neither do you need to be ashamed of it. That's never an emotion he wants you to feel. And Jesus says to Zacchaeus, get yourself down here. I must come to your house today. He bestows on him the greatest honor to go and eat with him. This is the gospel. God comes and makes his dwelling within us. And that changes Zacchaeus, because now he wants to give this love away. Not what the law obliges him to do, but fourfold, way beyond what was actually needed. Because in giving away, he discovers life. It doesn't end with him. It's not meant to end with us. It didn't end with Jesus of Nazareth. It ended as he gave it away. Literally. But in that is the most profound assurance when we lay down our life for our spouse, for our family, for our neighbor, for our boss. Any and every situation we find ourselves, the kingdom of heaven is throughout the earth. And part of my heart to see these communities emerge among us in terms of two to three households coming together. I keep calling these families on mission. It's not just a nuclear family, but it's the, the family of God with a sense of purpose. It's to reveal the nature of this love that we are a people shaped by the Lord Jesus Christ. His love is infused and changed and is transforming and opening our hearts. And we have a deep assurance. And when we come together, he's in our midst such that we can be a light post, a lighthouse, an outpost of the kingdom in wherever we are, in our community. Bring it, Lord. Finally, as well as having open hearts 
as well as having a deep and profound assurance that we are secure and complete in Him. The Lord wants us to live love with a confident heart. He wants you to have confidence. Not just confidence, but confidence. Verse 21, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, does anyone have an uncondemned heart? Please. You see, if we believe the lie that the enemy throws at us because we've done something wrong, we're condemned, we have not received the gospel. We do not know Christ because in him there is therefore now no condemnation. Is there anyone with an uncondemned heart out there? Hallelujah. And online, hopefully, too. This is so important, people. If our heart does not condemn we have confidence toward God. Of course we mess up. That's not the point. He knew that already. He's not surprised by it. He just doesn't want us to live there and be stuck in that place. But bring it into the light, as I said. Confess, agree with God, and receive not condemnation, but forgiveness, restoration, confident hearts. You know, confident, it's made up two words, con and the word fidere. And it carries the sense of full and bold trust. Fidere is to trust. Con, though, brings a strength to that trust. It's not, I hope it all works out okay. No, there's an intense sense of force that comes with that. There's an energy that comes that brings confidence. And this is why praying with others in a huddle, with those who deeply know, confessing and receiving afresh is so vital to us. This is how it heals us. This is how the guilt is removed. This is how the stain of shame is gone because we receive the truth together. Where two or three, there am I. And prayers are answered. That's what John says. And whenever we receive, we, sorry, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his command, because we're walking in his light. And we're together praying for what he wants. Do you think he's not going to answer that prayer? No, he's promised to do so. He wants us to walk in this confidence where we risk all for the sake of the kingdom and we give away our lives, trusting in his son, loving passionately one another. The greatest danger to the kingdom of this world and to the enemy Am I going out? Seems a shame at this point. Believers who have confidence in who they are and who the Lord is. Believers who pray with confidence <laughs> together, corporately. Some of you will have seen this lady's testimony I put up online. I've seen this confidence in a young believer. We get weary sometimes when we've been at this a few years. And we lose sight. We, we kind of lose faith for. And God wants to stir something up. There's a sense in which 
as we were praying earlier, you know, there's walls to be taken down. There's, there's an opening doing, not just in our personal lives, not even just in as, as a church, but as a community. But it comes through people who take God at his word and walk in it, confident, not for themselves, but for the glory of the kingdom. In our children, when we see them growing up, starting to live into things, and we're amazed by what they're doing. Because when we're younger, <laughs> we believe we can change the world. There's potential. But even seeing that, I've been energized by seeing confidence, faith being expressed. We all need that. So we're back. Are we, are we yours? Are we stuck with Eeyore, or is there a bit more Tigger in our tank? Remember that old SO advert? I've got a tiger in my tank. You've got a Tigger in your tank? I came across this quote, and I'll finish with this. It's from Frank Lambach, who was a missionary, died recently. He said this, The simple program of Christ for winning the whole world is to make each person he touches magnetic enough with love to draw others. To make each person he touches magnetic enough with love to draw others. I was reminded of a song we used to sing back in the 90s. Noel Richards wrote it. Our confidence is in the Lord. Anyone remember that one? Our confidence is in the Lord, the source of our salvation. No, you don't know it. Anyway, it was a British song, and I was going to play it, but it's a, it's a bit cheesy, because in 20-odd years, things get very cheesy. But the words are great. We will not fear the evil day. Our hope is built on Jesus, and he is our fortress. We will never be shaken. We will put our trust in God. Amen.